Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission, and we are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word, and that, through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. The first Sunday of a new year is always something special, but I think for 2021, most of us have been looking forward to this new year much more than we would normally. Amen? In my lifetime, I would say that there has been no more higher anticipated new year than this one. Even the turn of the 20th century, which had its own elements of intrigue and definitely a bunch of unknowns, doesn't seem to me, maybe it's 20 years down the road, but it didn't seem to me like it was as anticipated as this year has been. And so uh, I look around the room and I'm just checking out some faces and I know that for me personally, uh, if I had to put a caption on 2020, I would say 2020 was a tremendous year of loss. I, I know I'm not the only one who went through things in 2020. Uh, I'm certainly looking forward to having a much better year this year. And uh, at least, if it's not better, I want something different. Amen? Amen. Um, and, and so that's what it is. But every year, you know this, and I know this, we, we recognize this. Every year, people make New Year's resolutions. How many of you made them? Wow. 2021 just destroyed resolutions. Wow. But we know that there are personal declarations of how next year is going to be different than the previous year. And so each year we declare this year is going to be different. Anybody? Right? Uh, right? Uh, you know, and then we put the caveat because I'm going to be more like this or I'm going to be less like this. And, and so, you know, we start out I'm going to be healthier this year. I'm going to be more active this year. Uh, I'm going to love more this year. I'm going to forgive more this year. That's a good thing, by the way. Uh, some people in the church, especially, they pledge to be more spiritual this year. Uh, I'm going to pray more this year. I'm going to read my Bible more this year. I'm going to worship more this year. I'm going to give more this year. Just kind of looking around, see what's going on, right? But our, our New Year's resolutions generally have one basic idea, one motivating factor in mind when, when we do this, and, and that is change. And so the difference, no matter what it is, we believe, we feel like will somehow make us happier. Anybody? Right? And, and so, you know, the popular resolutions, I, I, I looked this up, you know, I mean, Google knows everything, and so the most popular resolutions every year are exercise, lose weight, save more money, pay off debt. And, and the surprising thing is, these things never change. These four top resolutions, they never change. If you went back on the history since men have been making uh, resolutions, it would be exercise, lose weight, save money, pay off debt. They stay at the top of the list every year. And I thought that was kind of funny because if we actually do what we say we're going to do, by nature, something would have to move on that list. It's, it's, so the truth is, Brother Roberts is out here on the first Sunday in 2021 poking you in the eye a little bit saying, we're not going to do anything we say we're going to do. 
But I began to go just a little bit deeper than that and say, well, why is it? Why is it that we as humanity make all these resolutions? Why is it that we engage ourselves, even to the point some of you wrote them down, some of you sent them to friends, some of you did all kinds of crazy things, somebody probably wrapped it up, put it in a bottle, put it aside for next year so they could see if they actually did it or not, well, however you want to do it. But the, the bottom line is we've been taught since we were children that happiness will make our life better. Right? And so we feel like that if we're happy and that happiness will be blessed and if we can add this quality or this characteristic to our life, you know, if I can just weigh less, if I can just have better health, if I can have less debt, if I can have some more money, I'm going to be happier. Right? And, and, and pastor said amen to all of those, right? Healthier, happier, more money, give more, do more. Why? Because it would make a healthier church, right? And so this morning, I want us to look in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look on this first Sunday at Jesus' first recorded sermon. You, you know it as his, the famous Sermon on the Mount. And I, I'm, I'm going to spend, I thought about trying to do this in two weeks, but I, I looked at my notes this morning, and I swear to you, I have 35 pages of notes. And I, I intended this to be lesson one of two, so this might be lesson one of 17. We'll, we'll see how that goes. But Jesus in his, in, his, in his first sermon gives us eight specific points. Now listen, pastor gives us three and you're looking at your watch, right? And, and so, you know, pa Jesus in his very first sermon, I watched these young men, I remember that way uh, 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 a million years ago, when you get up to preach, you're like, man, how do I fill 45 minutes or 30 minutes or 50 minutes or whatever it is? And now, you know, you get to a certain point and you're like, how do I get all this in 35 minutes, you know? And, and so I watched these guys and they're, they're done in, in, in 20 minutes. They're like, man, I said all I had to say. Jesus gave them eight specific life-changing points. So let's read from Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read here. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, starting in verse 3. And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are, are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Amen. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Boy, that's really positive, exciting stuff for the first Sunday in January. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity, the privilege to be in your presence today. I ask your blessing upon our time together, Lord. I pray, God, your mercy, your strength. God, open your word to us, Lord. Enlighten us, Lord. Help us as the people of God to grow and to become more like you in Jesus' name. Somebody say in Jesus' name. Jesus name. Amen. You can be seated. I made myself a promise this morning very early. Uh, I was over here praying, and I was really kind of frustrated as kind of 
as I began to develop this lesson a little bit and look at some of these things, and I made myself a promise. You may like it or may not like it, but I made a promise to me that I'm not going to hurry through this. I'm going to take as many weeks as the Lord wants me to to spend some time on this because I think it's important for us as a church. So each beatitude presents the follower of Jesus with both a challenge and a possibility. It presents to us each one of these different principles that we're going to spend some time over. We're going to look at challenges and possibilities. We're going to look at challenges and and promises. And so this morning, I want to first look at the challenges. So we're going to start out on the the negative side of this. It's been said that the uh, the Beatitudes convey the idea of let this be your attitude or probably in layman terms, we would say think like this. Most Bible commentaries and most theologians translate the Greek word for blessed that was used in the King James. The word, the Greek word is marikios, and it's, 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 it means to be blessed or to be happy. In fact, Strong's Concordance defines it as being supremely blessed. Now, that's me. That's where I want to be. I want to be supremely blessed. But as I began to read through some of those things, and I, and I, I began to wonder how, how those that are mourn are blessed, how those that are hunger and thirsting for righteousness, how I maybe get some of those and some of them I don't, so I don't want to get ahead of myself. But there's a little bit deeper element here. There's a Greek scholar by the name of Spiros Zohidites, um, and he said that this Greek word, merikoios, uh, is translated blessed in the King James, and it means to be supremely happy or supremely blessed. But he also he said this, he said it, it conveys a, an idea with it. It's not just the meaning of the word, but it's the idea of completion. And so I, I plugged that into my simple mind, and, and I said, you know, who better to translate the Greek than a Greek scholar? Because, you know, I'm, I, I, I get two items on the Greek menu, gyro, um, uh, I can't remember the other one, okay? So I, that's as far as I can go in the Greek. I'm not really good at that. So I put it in the context that we could understand. So complete are the poor in spirit. Okay, I kind of struggle a little. Complete are those who are mourning. Uh, all right, complete are the meek. Complete are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Complete, now we're substituting happy and blessed for this word, right? And so complete are the merciful, complete are the pure in heart, complete are the peacemakers. You know, uh, you know, peacemaking is kind of a difficult thing, right? How many of you feel like you're a peacemaker? Two. All right, yeah, okay, maybe. I, I find that when I try to make peace, you get in the middle of two people that are fighting, trying to make peace, they turn on you, and then... Brother James, just being transparent, I don't see the point sometimes. If they're going to attack me, I'm not going to get in the middle of that, right? Complete are those which are persecuted for righteousness' sakes. Wow. Complete are you when you're reviled and persecuted and people say all manner of evil against you falsely. Wow, complete. I I kind of like that. And so I I begin to think that, that doesn't quite really put me in the place where I want to be. So I, I, I'm particular. I really like finished products. I like things to be done with. I, I hate anybody. I, I hate leaving things undone. And so when I'm complete with something or finished with something, to me, that, that's a blessing. So I can kind of relate with that. And so it's really not what the Greek wording is trying to express. And so when the Bible begins to speak of something being complete, 
It's relating it as being whole. And so simply things that are incomplete are not whole. Amen? And so when it's not finished, it's not done, it's not, it's not complete, it's not, it's not done. And so have you ever felt like your life was incomplete? Hopefully, you know, you're not finished, you know, you're not ready to go right now. You, maybe there's something left you want to do, right? And so I'm sure in some measure we've all felt that way. And so while our humanity feels like that we're going to be happy, we're going to be blessed, or we could even be complete if we can add these qualities or characteristics to our life, you know, if I could just weigh a little bit less, if I could just have some better health, if I could get rid of that debt, if I could have more money, you know, I, I would just, I, that's complete for me. That's where I want to go. And so how is it that we... As as the people of God get to a place of wholeness, to a place of completeness. Because being complete is difficult. And, and I'm going to tell you that being whole in the natural sense and in the spiritual sense is difficult. It's just not easy. And so if being whole is difficult, being, being unwhole or being incomplete is also difficult. Because it's really hard to have things working when you don't have all the pieces. You ever met that person, right? You ever met that person and you know there's 52 cards in a deck and they're missing at least two? You know, they're, they're, there's some floors they don't have buttons for in their elevator, you know? I remember, I remember walking at work one day, and uh, there was this particular guy that we worked with, and he was not the sharpest pencil in the box. And and the gentleman that I was, we were just finished the job, we we're walking across, and and here comes this guy, and we all made a little fun of him, and it's probably he deserved most of it. And and so here he's walking across there, and my friend looked at me and goes, "Look at there, Jeff. Some village is missing their idiot, and we got it." That's mean, isn't it? I need some more peacemaking teaching. I'm working on that right now. Uh, so our humanity, you know, incomplete things just can't get stuff done. It's just not. And so when something is incomplete, it's deficient. I watched the guys kind of, ha ha, you know, you get it. The ladies are like, oh, you're so mean. You ladies are just as mean. You're just not as open with it. <laughs> Sorry. I go back to teaching and stop meddling now. But when something is incomplete, it means that it's, it's deficient in some way, in some manner. It's insufficient or it's lacking everything that it needs to work properly. There's an imperfection. There's something defective. And so this idea that I'm, I'm going to try to express to us about being complete and being happy and being blessed, they're not synonymous terms that are in the Roberts to Bridge Dictionary. They don't, they don't fit my vocabulary. I, I don't grasp the idea of being happy and being blessed and being complete, all in the same. They don't seem to work for me. But here's what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And you know verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And we said, man, that's awesome, right? But verse 17 says that the man of God may be perfect. Many other translations use the word complete right there. And so here's what we need to understand, that this Word of God has the ability to thoroughly furnish us unto all good works, that the Word of God that we talk about and preach about and, and spend time on all the time, what, you know, when you start looking at this, the, 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 the idea of the Word of God making your life complete is that when I lack something in the spiritual sense or from a, the Word of God, that means I'm incomplete. 
And, and so the, the idea of completeness in a spiritual sense and what God intends is, is for, our, is for our, our lives to become more mature. That's a, a biblical word that is used for us to become more mature. And so now I've gone all the way from happy and blessed to complete to maturity because I believe that when you are complete, it is a mature product. It's a finished work. And so becoming mature or becoming complete begins with, according to the greatest preacher of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, it begins with having or possessing a right attitude. Now, I haven't even got into the stuff yet, Brother Steve, and I'm probably spent half my time, but I want to lay a really good foundation for where I'm going this morning. You, you need to understand that a right attitude is important for us as the people of God. A right attitude in regard to God, a right attitude in regard to myself and to others is going to help me be complete which means I'm going to be blessed, I'm going to be happier, I'm going to be more mature. And so these beatitudes result in maturity of the believer. They, they result in wholeness. And, and I want you to understand that they are so deep, they are so magnificent, they are thoughts in the Scripture that we seemingly bypass on a regular basis that no self-help book or therapy could ever help you this much. And so consider the qualifications that are required for Achieving happiness, blessing, completion, and maturity in the kingdom of God. Being poor in spirit, mourning, meekness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, being merciful. These are, these are not things that I equate necessarily every day in my life with happiness and blessing, but I would, I would step back and say that they are, they are attributes and qualities of maturity, peacemaking, enduring persecution. The, several on those lists are, are, are really not there. Enduring persecution is not high on my list of, of desired life experiences. Amen. Oh, please persecute me. What a privilege it would be to be persecuted. And yet I see that in the Scripture. If you go back and read Fox's Book of Martyrs, it was a privilege to be persecuted. But in 2021, I, I'm going to tell you, it's not high on my list. And I, and I began to ask myself, wait a minute, okay, uh, you know, I, I get it. Peacemaking, there's, there's something to be gained from that. I, I understand it, but there's, there's really something to be gained for that. And, I, and I, I get there's all these things that need to be done that, that are going to help us achieve that characteristic, that quality, that right attitude that we as the people of God need. But enduring persecution, I, I, have a, I struggle with that. I, I, you know, when I get persecuted, I get angry. When I'm persecuted, I get mad. Because I don't feel like I deserve. I see some nodding heads. I need some more marbles to rattle. We'll get there. But I began to ask myself, how is it that these people who had the same Holy Ghost that I have, right? How is it that they thought it was a privilege to be persecuted? And I've lived for God for some, help me, honey, 30 35 years now, something like that, a long time. I need help so long. Thank you, dear. And I, and I still haven't gotten to the point where I'm like, persecute me. Come on over here. Come kick me. Come talk bad about me. Come put me down. And I'm like, what is it? How is it that these people thought that was cool? 
50 cards in that deck. 48, 45. You lost the Jokers, the Jacks, and the Queens. I, I don't know how y'all even play cards. I, I, don't, I don't get it. And so Jesus, in his very first sermon, said that this is a quality of life. This is an attitude or behavior that's going to result in my blessing, in my happiness, in my immaturity, but yet I'm being transparent with you because I know you feel like I do. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And so this morning, as I really begin to get into the meat of, of what I want to talk about, that this beatitude, this viewpoint of this question, what is it? What quality, what character trait do the citizens of the kingdom really possess that I don't have? Because, Brother Trey, in my mind, I, I got to be lacking something because if they got such high praise, I mean, they made the 11th chapter of Hebrews, and I can't even sniff it. I'm, I'm not even in the right book. I'm probably someplace back in Mark, or I might even still be in the Old Testament because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not wanting to do persecution. Okay, I mean, I, 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 we, we, me and Jesus, we can have us a, a set to, and we can talk about peacemaking, and if I got to get beat up to make peace between two people, and you know, that's a good thing, right? But, but I, persecution, I, I'm not, you know. But the, the truth is it takes all of these qualities working in conjunction with one another to make us the mature people of God that God wants us to. Now, this passage, I find, I would relate it to uh, similar to 2 Peter chapter 1, where there are various qualities listed, and each characteristic needed, needed to be added in conjunction with another. And so Peter says, add to your faith virtue, and virtue knowledge, and so on, and so forth, and so on. And so I, I began to look at this and say, wait a minute, these, I, I look at these all my life, Brother Savati, as singles. You know, this is, this is one attitude, this is one attitude, this is one attitude. And, and, but I began to realize that they're really not just one attitude, but that there is, there is a flow to them. There are qualities that are interrelated. If we consider these, we'll see how that they work together. So let's start with the first one. They are poor in spirit. How many of you are poor in spirit? I'm not, I'm not talking to the folks that were upset because you had church come church this morning. But the most redeeming spirit or the most redeeming trait that's seen in someone is having, or they are poor in spirit. So I began to ask myself, okay, what does it mean to be poor in spirit, right? Because I, I personally, my, my humanity, I don't want to be poor in anything. We're Americans, right? We, we work hard, we go to work every day, and, and look, I, I'm not looking to be poor in anything. You know, I, I'm not going to spend $5 on Starbucks coffee, but if I wanted to go to Starbucks and buy a ridiculously expensive coffee, I could do it. Okay? And, and the only person who would be mad at me would be me because I don't want to spend $5 on a cup of coffee. But when someone is poor in spirit, they have an awareness. They are aware. They, are, they realize that above everything else, they have an ultimate, complete need of God. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the first attitude that we have to have is a poor spirit. And it can be defined by three very simple things. Uh, the person who has a poor spirit, they have a humble opinion about themselves. Number two, they understand that they are sinners that are saved ultimately by the grace of God. And the third point that I would say about those that are poor in spirit is they have absolutely no righteousness of their own. Now, again, I put that back in the filter. 
Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, all right, yeah, uh-huh, no, maybe not. And, and so those are difficult, right? Having a humble opinion of ourselves, understanding that we're sinners saved solely by grace. And even after 36 years in the church, I have absolutely zero righteousness of my own. And so the poor in spirit are those that are convicted of their spiritual poverty. And so if there's anything that the 21st century church needs, we need to know what it means to be poor. Not materially poor, not, not, not right, but, but spiritually poor. Because there is nothing righteous, nothing holy, or even spiritual about being physically poor or materially poor. They just don't equate, right? You, you know, I understand. I know what the scripture says. I know Jesus said that it was impossible for a rich man to go to heaven and you know, all that difficult stuff, right? But if it were, if it were uh, equated in a natural sense, then we should stop helping the poor. We should stop benevolence. We should stop giving to poor people's needs, right? Why? Because we're not doing them any favors if we give to them if being materially poor is what God was talking about. That's not, that's not what he's talking about. But Jesus' first point is about our attitude about ourselves. Tell your neighbor, it's about me. The first attitude or the first be attitude needs to be about how you see you. Now, so, so for clarification point, it's not about how I see you or how you see me, but about how you see you. And so blessed are those that understand above everything else, I am a sinner. Now, I did this kind of, I, I couldn't believe it when I did this. I, I actually, so I, I'm very simple-minded, so I opened up my dictionary on my computer, went right to Webster's Dictionary, and typed in attitude. And the first definition that came up under attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something, typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. And I said, okay, an attitude is a way of thinking or feeling about someone. And so the first B attitude is how I view myself or how I think about myself. Now, we live in the 21st century, and there is no one on earth that's going to tell you from any human, humanitarian perspective that you should think less of yourself. We are full of positive thinking and overcoming this and moving forward. And even the way that we preach, we don't preach against sin anymore. We don't, it's not, you, know, you don't hear five messages a year about you're a sinner going to a devil's hell. We hear about you're going to make it, you're going to overcome, you're going to be blessed, God's going to lead you. Those not, not bad things. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing that. But blessed are those that understand above everything else, I'm a sinner. An attitude is about how I view myself. And if, I, if I'm not careful after 36 years in the church and some accomplishments and some, some corn in the crib and having done some good things and feel good about myself, if I'm not careful, I can come into the house of God and I can feel like I have got a little bit of righteousness. Now, vengeance and righteousness are two different things. I have been known to say, you know, I've been known to quote, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, but Brother Roberts is going to get just a little bit. Pray for me. I'm working on some of these things, right? But this is, this is different. My attitude has to be that I am not deserving of any good thing from God. And it's one thing to say that. It's one thing to mouth that, to express that. It's another thing to have a life view of that. I, I, I promise you one of, the, one of the dominant spirits in our age is entitlement. 
Well, what about me? That's what entitlement is. What about me? Where do I fit in this? How do I, what about, what do I get out of this? What's going on? And so when Jesus is talking about the, the poor in spirit, you know, listen, I, if I'm going to have a New Year's resolution, I want to have a resolution that I'm going to become more poor in my spirit. I'm not going to have a poor spirit. I'm not going to have a, a bad attitude. We, we, called, uh, we called the kids last night, and uh, Jossie got a, uh, got a, a new bed, uh, a loft bed. And John was putting it together. Well, so, you know, um, we've got a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. So the two-year-old grabs the phone, blah, 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 drops the phone, runs away like she does every time, right? It's talking to a, talking on FaceTime with the two-year-old. And the four-year-old, she won't talk to us. Nora's like, nope, hey, bye, get away from me, turn the phone off, don't talk to me, right? Now, Jossie, she's all about everything. She wants to show me. She has got llamas for Christmas, llamas upon llamas, llamas, one little llama that dances. She's got llamas, bed, llamas, the llamas everywhere. So she's showing me all her stuff, and I'm acting like I'm interested. And, and in the background, here's John putting this bed together. You hear, you know, he's over, and, you know, and I, it must be going pretty good. He's not saying bad words. He's not throwing tools. So, I, you know, we're kind of, we're just, we're, you know, I'm sitting in my chair, and Patrice looking over my shoulder. We're just, you know, doing the grandparent thing. We're smiling, you know, still mad at him. I want to kill him. But so Jossie says, what are you doing? And I'm like, he's talking and she's, Nora, stop, Nora, stop. Well, so I, I began to look at this, and, and, and Nora, so all this, bo- this bed came out of this box. He's putting this big monster, and there's three big boxes, and all the styrofoam, and Nora is just crumbling up the styrofoam and throwing it around <laughs> Jossie's room. So Nora doesn't have her own room, doesn't have her own bed, right? She wouldn't sleep in it anyway. She would have sharing a room with her sister, sharing a bed, whatever they're doing. I don't know. And so she's just breaking this stuff up and throwing it everywhere. And Jossie tells her to stop. And she, so Jossie starts complaining to John, John, Dad, please tell Nora to stop. Nora, stop, honey. Nora, stop, honey. Nora, go get your mother. Rachel comes in. What are you doing, Nora? Nothing. She's throwing this stuff. Break. I'm not doing nothing. She's, a, right? She's got a bad attitude. She's got a rotten attitude, right? And uh, no matter how many times they told her to stop, she's just smiling. She's just throwing stuff. She goes from this box to that box. She's out in the hallway now. She's making this big mess. And I'm thinking, somebody tighten that up. You know, back in my day. We would apply some, but it's a new day, right? Sister Dunn, we don't do that anymore, right? Lord Jesus, somebody will put you in jail. But here, it's possible to be in the house of God and not have a right attitude. It's possible to be in ministry and not have a right attitude. It's possible to be doing anything you're doing and have a bad attitude about it. It's possible. It's not only possible, it's likely that somebody here today has a bad attitude. You didn't want to be here. You don't like what you got to do. Something's going on. And so we're living in this. And so here, the Bible's telling us, Jesus said, listen, you got to get the first thing right. Blessed, happy, complete, mature are those that are poor in spirit. I don't want to have a poor spirit. I just want to be poor in spirit. There is a distinct difference between having a poor spirit right? I I got a bad attitude about this. I don't like this. I don't like that. I complain. I criticize. I get upset. No, no, no. But uh, really being poor in spirit is saying, you know what? I don't deserve any good thing from God. I don't deserve his mercy. I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve his forgiveness. I don't deserve the blood. 
And if these beatitudes are going to progress, the reason why I, I, I begin to say, okay, come on, God, how come, how come I'm not willing to go through persecution? How come I'm not going, yay, come on. How come I'm not the happy, clappy Pentecostal says, bring on persecution. What a privilege it is. The reason is I'm not poor enough in my spirit. The reason is I consider myself too valuable but the Lord Jesus Christ said the first point of the first message that I'm ever going to preach to humanity is blessed are those that are poor in spirit. And so I'm talking to the church in 2021. I'm going to throw away all my New Year's resolutions. Yeah, I want to be healthier. I want to weigh less. I want to do all those things. But I want to become greater in that quality of having poorness in my spirit. I want to have a greater awareness that I'm a sinner and less awareness that I'm some special saint of God. I'm trying to help us understand that if we're going to progress and become what God wants us to become, I don't know what 2021 is going to hold. I don't know if they're going to come in here and close the doors down. I don't know any of that stuff. I, I know that I like this and I don't like this and I like this. But you know what? If I would become more poor in my spirit, uh, I would dislike a lot more, a lot less. Because the reality is for all of us in our humanity, somehow we feel like we are not getting all that we're deserved. And that's just a result of one, humanity, and two, the spirit and the world that we live in. That you're entitled to this, you're, you're privileged, you should be doing this, and you, should, you shouldn't be doing anything. The only thing I deserve is a devil's hell. The only thing I deserve is a lake of fire. I know, pastor doesn't preach enough on sin. Even may, he may feel to preach on sin, but he can't. Why? Because our humanity doesn't, we're not poor enough in spirit to receive that kind of preaching on a regular basis. That's the truth. That's the reality. We just don't have enough characteristic to allow the man of God to like he talked about his dad uh, to point that bony finger at us and say, it's you, it's you that's living in sin. It's your attitude, it's your mindset, it's your decision that has created this issue in your life. But we live in a world where everything has to be sugar-coated and candy-coated. I don't like to be told I'm wrong. I don't want to be, I don't like to be told that I'm missing something, that I'm incomplete, because I like that persona of myself that I'm a, a better person. But an attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone, and in this case, it's me. The Greek word that is used for poor here is in a strict sense, and it's for those that are beggars. This word, if used to describe the outward material poverty, would describe those who have absolutely nothing at all. The only way they survive is through begging. That's what the word that is used here for poor is. It is the poorest of the poor. It's the, it's the most helpless of the poor. The only way they possibly could survive is through begging. They can't work to earn money. They can't purchase even the barest of necessities. Poor here is not speaking about someone who has a house and clothes and a car, but they're just coming up a little short every month. No, no, this is really poor. This is dirt poor, begging poor, third world poor. It's a poverty that most of us have no experience with. It's a poverty that removes all sense of hope. And so when we add the word spirit to poor, it's talking about our inward man. And that the idea is here that the poor in the spirit are those that are brought face to face with their own inabilities, face to face with the weight and the pressure of their own sin. 
I can speak for the 2021 church. I, I don't know why they thought it was a good thing to be persecuted, but I know why we wouldn't think because we're not really poor enough in spirit because we still see goodness in ourselves. I woke up in the middle of the night. Somehow I had this in my mind just thinking about this. Maybe the Lord was speaking to me. There's a bell curve, right? We like to grade on the bell curve. Here's God all the way up here. And then, you know, there's humanity way down here. And there's this little curve down here. And there's, man, here's the church and here's the lowest of humanity. But that difference, that distance between God and, and the, the best person you know is so far, is so immense that it's not even on scale. There's just no way, right? And, and so when we see goodness in ourselves, when, you know, the, the, the poor in spirit, they despair in themselves. When they look in the mirror, they, their attitude is one is that they see who they truly are. And as a result of being poor in spirit, they run to God as their only hope. They cling to the mercies of God as the only possibility of hope in their life. This, this attitude is exemplified in Luke chapter 18, verse 13 of that poor tax collector, that publican standing far off, right, who would not even so much as lift up his head, his eyes to heaven, but he smote his breast saying, God, be merciful to me as a sinner. What we need in the church in the 21st century is people who would again act like this publican. This man who knew above all else he was a sinner. Oh, oh Brother Roberts, you know, I, I, I get it. I understand. No, no, no. We come, we're wearing nice clothes, nice suits. Most of us had a bath last night or this morning. Smell nice, hair combed if we got it. We're looking good. We're doing our thing, right? And we want everybody to think high of us and good of us. But the truth is, inside your heart, inside your mind, inside my heart, inside my mind, we are dirty, rotten sinners. Isaiah wrote about it in Isaiah 57, 15. He said, he said, he said, who is it that's going to be able to come into the presence of God? He said, him that is a contrite and humble spirit. He, he talks about that. And so sometimes if we're not careful, what do I need for 2021? I need to become poor in my spirit. But be careful. There's a fine line here. There's a, a double-edged sword here. There's a line between having confidence in God and confidence in the flesh. God has gifted you with talent. God has gifted you with ability. But that doesn't mean it's anointed. And so there is, we, we need to have a greater awareness of our sin. And we need to, we need to be comfortable when that awareness is expounded upon. Because it's difficult for us to understand that. Because everything in our world tells us that we deserve so much better. But the reality is, according to the word of God, while we were yet sinners... Christ died for me, the ungodly. That's the truth of the matter. That's the, that's the reality of who we are, right? And so becoming poor in spirit is not the same as having a poor spirit. There is an awareness of my sin. There is an, an understanding that I am a sinner. And outside of the grace of God, I have no deserving of anything from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is not an excuse to do nothing. That is not an excuse to sit on our hands and not be involved in the kingdom of God. But neither is it an excuse to work in the flesh. Why? Because they that are led of the Spirit, they are the sons of God. And we understand that. So there is a, a fine line there. But as I began to begin to study in this, I, I, really, I really am compelled that the reason that some people are not maturing in their spirit is because they have a high opinion of themselves. 
Now, Brother Roberts, you're just being mean. No, I really am not trying to. I'm I'm glad that you're doing well in your life. I'm glad that you've got a great job. I'm glad that you're profiting. I'm glad. I don't think God wants you to be a pauper and to be poor and to be without and to do without in this world. It's it's never never in his word that he wants you to be destitute of the things of this life. But he does desire you to have an awareness that you are a sinner and your nature is sinful that you are not good. What he, he talks about the heart. He said, above all things, the heart is deceitful and wicked and desperate, and no man can know it, and we need to understand that. If we're, if we're going to have those, those other seven attitudes, we've got to start with this attitude. It has to begin with being poor in spirit. It has to begin right there. Very quickly, the second one, the second characteristics of having a right attitude or of becoming mature is mourning. Now I plug this in. I plug this into my little small computer up here, and smoke started churning out, and things started going right. I said, "What's going on here?" So happier are the poor in spirit, because they're going to get the kingdom of God. But happier are those that mourn. And I said, "You know that doesn't make any sense to me at all." I mean, the poor in spirit, the hum- the humble people. I-, I can see their blessing. I can see their happiness. But I don't know anyone who's ever happy about mourning. I, I mean, even with the guarantee that's, that's added to that, that there's ultimately going to be great comfort, you know, the, the, the truth is, given the choice, I would rather not mourn at all. I'm just being transparent. But I began to ask the question, okay, so if I don't want to mourn, then what is it that I'm supposed to be mourning about? Because, I mean, I, I read my Bible, and I, I go right to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, and Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. There's no mourning in that. I'm, I got joy. I'm rejoicing, right? And so it seems to me that as I read my Bible, there's a lot more joy and rejoicing than there is mourning. I, I know he's going to turn your mourning into dancing. I mean, we're apostolic. We, we live. We got a foundation on that, on that song, right? But there's a specific sense of mourning that God's people must possess if they're going to become mature. And that is the same thing as we talked about in the, in the being poor in spirit. We've got to be able, we have to be able to relate to mourn over our own spiritual condition. Remember that, that poor in spirit attitude. We, we, we're a celebratory church. We, we should be, but our humanity needs to mourn over our sin and our sinful nature. What are you talking about? I've already talked about this some. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying we need more preaching about sin, not less. We need more awareness, right? And, and so Paul, Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 7, verse 21. He said, when I would do good. He said, this is the law. When I would do the right thing, evil is present with me. I, I began to think about some of this. How, what are you talking about? There are people that mourn. They, they had an understanding. Listen, if we're going to mourn, we shouldn't mourn because we had a bad year. We shouldn't be mourning because uh, we lost a loved one who on their way to, to, on their way to heaven. That's not, that's not what mourning is. This mourning is a sense of about, I'm mourning because of sin in my world and the effects of sin in my world. David, after his sin with Bathsheba in Psalms chapter 51, verses 3 and 4, he said, I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. 
Now, this is a difficult part for us because in 2021, we don't sin, we make mistakes. We don't sin, we fail. We're going to correct it. We're going to get back on track. We're, and so if we're careful, if we're not careful, we, we start removing all of those things out of our vocabulary like repentance, contrition, right, conviction. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't want those things, right? And, and so the New Living Translation r- relates this as this way. He says, I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. And I thought, wait a minute now, hold on. You, you got to be careful. You can't go in and tell those good people that they've got a rebellious spirit. Because the truth is every one of us have a rebellious spirit. Be honest. You know, I, I don't know anybody in this room who hasn't come to me, at least most of you at some point said, I, I don't agree with this and I don't agree with that. And I don't agree. It's rebellion. Whether you like it or not, it's rebellion. Well, I don't think, I don't, careful. I don't agree. Listen, I, I, I read through this word, and I don't like everything that I read. Why? Because I live in this flesh. I live in this humanity. and I, I'm, I'm going to do my best to follow it, but that doesn't mean I have to like it. But the truth is, according to the Word of God, I can't walk with God unless I'm in agreement with God. So there's something broken here. And the, the reality is, is that we, we've got to be poor in spirit. But we've got to learn how to mourn over our spiritual condition. The, 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 the problem is we're mourning for the wrong things. We're mourning because of we're mourning because we don't have enough money. We're mourning because we're too fat or too skinny or too hungry or too. We're, we're mourning. We uh, well, oh my God, we're crying and whining about this, and complaining about this. And the reality, what we really need is the perspective that David had in Psalms 51, chapter, or chapter 51, verse 4. He said, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight for purpose, for reason, that you would be justified when you speak and clear when you judge. I, I know it's 2021, so judgment is one of those things that we don't, we don't judge not lest you be judged, brother. Judge not. Right? We moved on from Jesus wept. We judge not. We're that, we're that church. And, and if we're not careful, Hear, hear what I'm saying. What are you talking about? I'm talking about starting out this year with the right attitude. I'm talking about being in the right place. And I've got to understand that my spiritual condition is bankrupt, but I need to learn how to mourn over that. I need to look back and not make excuse for my sin. I, I need to not just justify why I did what I did, but I need to say, you know what? I have done this. I recognize my rebellion, and I need to be like David and say, I'm, I'm going to let it haunt me day and night. I've got to let, why? If I'm going to be critical of something, I need to be critical of me. When you have an attitude of mourning over sin in your life, you can't come to church and celebrate your sin. I'm trying to help somebody. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get you to understand that if you're coming to church and you're living openly in sin, then you, 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 really, don't, you really don't have that attitude of mourning. When, when you truly mourn, you won't be harsh and critical of other people's failures. Why? Because I see my bankrupt condition. I see my circumstance, and, and I'm not nearly as good as I think I am. 
or even as somebody told me I am, and I, I'm not. I, boy, I live in a critical world. Most of it goes right between these two ears. There's criticality going on all the time. And I said, okay, God, I see this, right, you know, but mourning kills the attitude that says God is okay with my sin. I'm trying to get through this point to you this morning, that this relationship between these first two characteristics, unless I'm poor in spirit, I'm never going to mourn over my spiritual poverty. And why is it that we're not maturing? Why is it that we haven't overcome? Why is it that we're not growing in the kingdom of God? We've never learned how to be poor in spirit. We're too busy complaining about being poor in the world, poor in this life. We were driving home the other day. I told my wife, I said, baby, we just don't understand. I don't consider myself to be rich at all. I'm thrifty. I'm cautious, and God has blessed us greatly, but the truth is for every person in this room, no matter where you think you are financially, you live in America, and you're in the top 0.1% of the world. We don't understand poverty like other nations understands poverty, and we look at our spiritual condition, and we're so blessed. We have so many good things going on in our church. We've got such great elements everywhere we look. We've got the, I would put us up against our music, our preaching, our Sunday school, our Christian education, our programs, our policies, our procedures. I would put them up against just about anybody, and I would say we could hold our own. We do a really good job of those things. But the truth is, for every one of us in our humanity, I need God more now than I did in 1984 when I made my way through that old block building and found an altar and began to repent of my sins. We can't let repentance go by the wayside. We can't let that. Listen, we need salvation just as much today as we did the first time we walked in the door. We need the presence of God. What would happen if we came to church? poor in spirit. What would happen to the people of God if we came in and we were mourning over our condition, not their condition? Not upset because somebody let me down or somebody did, but upset because I am a failure, because I was born in sin. I was shaped in iniquity. That would make a difference in my happiness. That's going to make a difference in my maturity. That's going to make a difference in my growth and my blessing. Brother Roberts, this is kind of deep. I, you should have taught, told more jokes. This 2021, we, we need a little more humor. We need a little... S- the third one, and I don't have time. I'll get to it next week, is the meek. These first three are so critical. So critical. If we don't get the first three, we will never attain the rest. It's not possible. It's just absolutely not possible. So what do I do? What do I do? I got to go back and step back and reevaluate myself. I watch week after week as the preacher preaches the great word of God, the life-giving source, and I watch people. And, And I'm not just trying to be critical, but I watch them walk out the door. And I watch leaders come to the church and just kind of, you know, just another message, just another. But listen, we don't know how valuable that word of God is 
because it's the only thing that can make your life complete. It is the only mirror and image in which I can truly see my reflection. You know, I look around, this is the adult class, and, and you look in the mirror and things are changing, and, you know, you just life has a way, right? You, just, you look in the mirror and there's something new there that wasn't there the other day. Wait a minute, what, what, happened, what happened to looking in the mirror in the spirit and saying, you know what, I, I need to have a, a better attitude. I need to have a better reflection about who I am. What are you saying? You're saying, you're saying I'm a creep. You're saying I'm horrible. I don't deserve the things of God. Yes, I am so much. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. you. Listen, we ought not think higher of ourselves than we ought. We are the people of God, but I need the blood of Jesus more than I needed it in 1984. I need the blood. I need the power. I need the altar more. If, I, if, we don't, if we don't sing another great song, if we don't worship and dance in the Spirit, listen, I'm not okay with that. I, I love those things, but the, I need an altar. I need a place where I can see myself in light of God's Word. Because I have got to become poor in my spirit. And I've got to learn how to mourn over my spiritual condition. How, how did I get this far? And not really understand sometimes. Have I been there? Absolutely. Absolutely. But Brother Steve, it can't just be mourning when I fail. It can't be just mourning when I have a bad day or a bad week or a bad month. It's got to be a recognition and awareness that I am a sinner and I deserve no good thing from God but the mercy of God because that will transform your thinking. That will transform the image of yourself. When you begin to, listen, you, you, I got so much more to say. Let's pray. I'm out of time. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without really knowing the exact path it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. So be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus. I'm gonna wait.